Amen. Well, today I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started just last week and a series that we call, simply called Counterweight. Simply that we, sermon series that we simply call Counterweight. And basically we opened a series last week and we took note of the fact that we're already in the middle or past the midpoint of November and we all can acknowledge the fact that when we get around the holidays, high concentration around big holidays, right, something happens to us. You know, we could have had a very productive, a very fruitful and faithful, you know, first three quarters of the year, but something happens around the holidays that makes people go nuts and kind of lose their mind a little bit. There's something about getting together with family that brings out the worst in people. There's something about connecting with family, especially if there's some hurts or some, you know, anxiety there or some issues between the people involved. There's something about that that churns something up in our, in, in our hearts and something up in, on the inside of us that makes this, well, this season a little bit crazy. There's something about the anticipation of getting re- gifts or having the okay or green light to buy things and to go on shopping. Something about that that sends us into this frenzy of consumerism. And the list goes on and on and on when we consider not the good things, but the negative things that impact us around this time of year. And it's my belief that we've covered a lot of ground this, this year. We've, 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 done a lot of, we've done a lot of cool stuff. God has spoken to us. We've responded. A lot has happened this, 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 this first uh, three quarters of the year. And I would hate for the holidays to come and neutralize all of that. And it's for that express reason that we decided to put here, right before we get to our Advent series, a series that's designed to raise our awareness to these things that seek to trip us up and tip us over around this season, and to more importantly focus on the the way that God interacts with that brokenness and puts what we call a counterweight on the things that seek to tip us over, right? So these, these things, uh, uh, these counterweights are deal with the, designed to deal with the issues that are magnified around this time, the things that sort of manifest around the holiday season. We need something divine, something from God to keep us from tipping over. Uh, I mentioned last week that I was talking to David about this whole concept of counterweight as it relates to engineering and things like that. And he told me, as I said last week, that the industry standard for counterweights, um, for like elevators and bridges and different pulley systems, is sometimes up to four times the weight of the thing that you're trying to uh, provide a counterweight for. And he said that that's necessary to deal with what he called unexpected impacts, unexpected things that would happen, that would suddenly overtake this thing and try to tip it over. Well, the goal is to have so much weight on the thing balancing it out that it doesn't tip over under the weight of any unexpected impacts. And I think the same is true in our life with Jesus, in our spiritual life with God, that if we don't have in place some counterweights, some things that impact the systems of our life, the systems of our hearts, that we will most certainly tip under or fall prey to the things that unexpectedly overtake us, especially in a season like this. And I think these weights anchor our systems of life. They keep us from tipping over. This weight is not designed to be burdensome. It's designed to be an asset. It's designed to preserve. And last week we begin this series by talking about the counterweight of contentment. The counterweight of contentment. How God imposes, he gives us the gift of contentment. He teaches us, mostly through our sufferings, mostly through our afflictions, to be content. And this contentment counteracts growing dissatisfaction that we feel as as Westerners in this consumer society. 
It counteracts this discontent that was brought about by comparison, looking over the fence and things like that. We'll continue this series this week by talking about the counterweight of forgiveness. The counterweight of forgiveness. And this counterweight counteracts the impact of being wronged. The impact of being mistreated. Whether the offense is actual, that is it actually happened, or it's perceived, or you think it happened, even if it didn't, the impacts of being wronged or thinking you've been wronged are, are virtually the same, aren't they? So this counterweight that God offers us of forgiveness, it counteracts the impact of being wronged and the bitterness that comes along with that, the anguish and the anger, more importantly, the impulse to fire back and to get even, to seek revenge, right? This is the counterweight of forgiveness. And I think that one of the most dangerous things in the entire world, one of the things that will disrupt our divine purpose and absolutely neutralize us as it relates to the kingdom of God is unforgiveness. And some of us just haven't been wrong. If you're like me, you haven't, I was reflecting this week, I just haven't had anybody do me wrong to the degree that I've just found it nearly impossible to forgive them. I mean, I just, I just want to say that up front as, a, as a, a being transparent. And some of you can relate to that reality. But many of you in this room are dealing with presently situations and circumstances, things that happened to you, things that were done to you that you still haven't got over. You still haven't released those people. You still haven't forgiven them. Some of you are sitting with people right now. You're sitting here today with people that have wronged you in significant ways. Maybe you're sitting next to a spouse that was unfaithful and you just, you just never gotten over that. Things have just never been the same for you in your life. Maybe you grew up and your parents said some things, they spoke some things, they abused you in certain ways, and you've never gotten over it. It changed the trajectory of your life, and right now you're dealing with that. You're processing that. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your health. It impacts all these sorts of things. Maybe you were sexually abused or you were taken advantage of and you just find it difficult. You find it difficult to just release that person. You, it pains you to see that person going through life, going free, without a care in the world, as you deal with the fallout from that abuse. You deal with the fallout of that wrong. Some of you are dealing with this, and we can go on and on and on. Well, this morning, we're going to interact with the great teacher, Jesus. And Jesus is going to teach us about forgiveness. And we're going to look this morning at Matthew chapter 18 because we've got to overcome this. Otherwise, we won't have very much freedom. We won't have much fruitfulness in our life. And if we don't want to let God put his counterweight of forgiveness on our life, especially in this season, as we have to interact with a lot of the folks who are the cause of the problem, we won't make it. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. We'll start this morning at verse 21. But before we begin, let me just pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for your spirit. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this opportunity that I had to stand before your people and bring your word, Father. Lord, I know that where your spirit is, the word tells us there is freedom, there is liberty, Lord, and there, your spirit is here today. So freedom is available in this place today, and all we have to do is lean into what you're speaking, lean into what you're saying. So by the power of your spirit, Lord, would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak, Lord? Would you let your truth and your light shine through? Father, would you move the preacher out of the way, Lord, so that you can do what you want to do this morning? Set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 18, 
We'll start at verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Um, We'll also be projecting the words on the screens in front of you. By the way, if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that Bible as a gift from us to you. Matthew chapter 18, start at verse 21. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus that, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. But be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do. Uh, to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Obviously, that's Jesus speaking. So what's happening here? Peter comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. Now, if you just look through the Gospels, and you see some of the major discourses on various subjects that are impactful to us as followers of Jesus, you'll know that many of them start with the disciples or some other person asking Jesus a question. Peter's curious about this thing called forgiveness. He's curious what Jesus thinks about forgiveness. And Peter, wanting to be in compliance, he wants to figure out just where the boundary lines lie. How many times must I forgive any one person who does, uh, who offends me? And he's seeking answers for Jesus, from, from Jesus. A lot of very important start, uh, lessons start this way. And Jesus uh, takes time to, to tell Peter this very important story. Right? So the passage opens. Peter comes. He asks this question. He says, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times seven. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. So Jesus uh, starts this discourse by uh, telling Peter, listen, man, seven times is not nearly enough. I know you think that's noble. I know you think that's a good sort of biblical number, but that number doesn't quite hold water. And Jesus says 70 times 7, which is perhaps far more times than anybody had ever imagined, right? This would probably have been very shocking to Peter as he heard this. And of course, Jesus isn't talking about that you have to forgive somebody 490 times. He's saying it's infinite how many times you have to forgive somebody. who's wronged you, who's sinned against you. And Jesus continues by illustrating forgiveness done right. So Jesus tells this story, and basically what he's illustrating in this first act of this beautiful story is forgiveness 
done right, we read in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought who, who owed him millions of dollars he couldn't pay. So the master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But it says the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. First, we see two characters in the story. We see the king and we see the servant. The king is owed money. The servant owes money. So the first thing we need to understand is the king, right, is, represents God in this story. And the scriptures don't tell us a whole lot about this guy. We don't know whether he's a, a pagan king, whether he's a, whether he's a good, godly king. We don't know whether he's Jew or Gentile. All we know uh, is that he's a king. And frankly, that's all we need to know. And we need to know that because this guy being king, we know that he has the power, right, to maneuver and to manipulate this guy's life. Regardless of how this guy got into debt, we know that this king is powerful and that he has a right to do with this subject, his servant, whatever he wishes, right? Doesn't matter. All we need to know is that he's king. Then we see this servant, and this servant owes a whole lot of money. The scriptures tells us millions upon millions of dollars. Now, some of us, we go, well, that's a lot of cash. And my first instinct is to think, well, how on earth? Did he get himself in a pickle like this? What did he do? What did he borrow? What did he promise? What did he fail to do that put him in a hole like this? And the truth is, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is he's in the hole big time to a powerful person that has power over his life, his death, his freedom, or his captivity. That's all we need to know. This guy owes a lot of money. And because he can't pay what he owes, millions of dollars, he's just a servant, to get that kind of cash from, right? So in order to recruit, recoup just a little bit of this money that's owed him, the king says, listen, I'm going to sell everything you have. I'm going to sell you and your family into servitude so you can begin to pay this back. Now, the guy will never, ever pay it back under those circumstances. But basically, he's banished into a hopeless, miserable existence of working off a debt that he will never, ever pay. The definition, a perfect picture of misery. You don't dream when you're, you know, in that type of predicament. You don't aspire to anything. There's no hope. And if you're praying, you're praying that God would have mercy on you and free you from this terrible predicament. Owes lots of money. And how does this story apply to us? If we just apply this story to us, obviously God is the king and we're the servants. We're in debt to God. We owe him a debt that we cannot pay. And if you just want me to put it plainly, the debt that we owe is a result of our sin. Our sin. Our sinfulness before holy God has put us in a hole. And there's nothing that we can do at all to get ourselves out of this hole. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say. There's no beautiful string of words that we can put together. There's no praise dance that we can do. There's no song. There's no devotion that we can do to get us out of this. We're in debt up to our eyeballs and there's no hope for us unless, of course, the king has mercy on us. And this parable is a natural example of our spiritual condition. It's a natural story being told or natural word picture being painted that is representative of our spiritual condition. We're in debt. We're in deep sin. We're on the hook. And God in his mercy has to pardon us. Otherwise, we simply will die this way. We'll die this way. 
And friends, this is the message of the gospel. That we, being bound in debt to our own sins, sinning against holy God who created us to be holy and set apart and worship him alone, we failed him over and over. In fact, we came out of the package sinful and selfish, so we don't even have a chance, really. But God, in his great mercy, in his great love, full of grace and full of mercy, unending love, says, you know what? That debt you owe, no, I'm not just going to be patient with you and give you an opportunity to pay it over time. I'm going to completely cancel the debt altogether. Man, that's a good place to say amen. And some of us have never heard that message. You've heard that God wants you to have a Cadillac and two, two and a half houses. You heard that your ship was about to come in and all you have to do is live right and be right and think right. But the message of the gospel is this. You're a sinner. You owe a debt that you could never pay. And Jesus paid it all, so all you have to do is accept it and, and run free. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. That's the gospel message. And this parable gives us a natural example of our spiritual condition, a natural example of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I love how verse 27 says this, Then the master was filled with pity. The guy asked him to be forgiven, and he released him and forgave his debt. It seemed real easy for the king to forgive this debt. He didn't say, well, well, give me, give me, give me five reasons why I should do this. Well, I tell you what, let me, let me think on it for a little bit and then I'll, I'll think about it or I'll just cut, cut it in half. He said, listen, you can go free. You're forgiven, filled with compassion. And you'd think that the natural response and reaction to being forgiven of such a great debt would be to seek out people that owe you stuff so you can free them. You'd think that the natural response to this is to be so aware of the love and kindness of the king and that you would want to pay that forward right away. This surely is what this guy is going to do. Well, unfortunately, we know that that's not the case. And we saw the beginning of this story. We saw forgiveness done right. Now we take a look at this guy's, you know, next steps and we see forgiveness, forgiveness done wrong. Verse 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. I mean, the, the, it doesn't even compare in terms of dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Now, get this. This, this passage doesn't say that the guy was walking down the street and he saw across the street the guy that owed him money. And since he saw him, he, he decided to go have a conversation with him. Right? What this passage tells us is that this guy went looking for the person who owed him some cash. Now that's cold-blooded, man. That's cold-blooded. In the face of being forgiven, in the wake of being forgiven, he goes to seek out somebody who owes him a debt that's significantly less than what he's been pardoned. And he goes to collect payment. He not only goes to collect payment, but he's harsh about it. He grabs the guy by the neck, shakes him around, slaps him around a little bit, throws him into a debtor's prison, and demands that the thing be taken care of. Man, that's wicked. That's evil. Now, we've done some terrible things, but as we read this story, there's something unjust about that. There's something not quite right about that. 
What a scoundrel, right? What a scoundrel. So what's wrong with this guy? That's a good question, right? What's wrong with this guy? I think a better question, if we're seeing this story uh, properly, uh, a better question is what's wrong with us? We need not forget that this is a picture of us. This is a reflection of who we are. Sometimes we need to see in black and white, you know, who we are, what we do. What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with us? What are we not seeing? What's not connecting here? It could be a number of things, but clearly this guy has a short memory. He has a real short memory. He's forgotten the grace to which he's received. He's forgotten the, 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 the huge pardon that he received. He, 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 he forgot that the fact that he, he didn't get what he had coming. He forgot that he was shown compassion and that he was given grace and he was given mercy. Perhaps he had failed to consider just how much he'd been forgiven. Maybe his payment stub had a misprint on it. And he didn't understand that he owed millions of dollars. Maybe he thought he just owed a few hundred. Maybe he thought he just owed a few thousand. Maybe he wasn't aware of the fact that he, he was forgiven like that. Millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Regardless of what's wrong with this guy, specifically, we know that something's not right here. Something's broken about this. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. And some of us haven't been told that. Some of us haven't heard the gospel message that we've been forgiven, that we're not any longer on the hook, that the price has been paid, that we're no longer uh, on the hook for that stuff. But regardless of the problem, there is a problem. And this is a big deal. And we see that it's a big deal because when the word gets back to the king, the king has a significant response to it. Verse 32, then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do for you, do to you, excuse me, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Obviously, this is Jesus talking here as he sums up this story. The king is indignant. He's angry. He's furious. Doesn't quite understand how this guy could be so callous and be so cruel. And it seems to me that the king expected that forgiveness would be what this gentleman would pay for. That mercy and compassion and forgiveness would be his natural response to being forgiven such a debt. Now, what's interesting is that the king, you know, as he pardons this guy, he didn't tell him. He said, he didn't say, listen, now make sure you go and pay this forward now. Make sure you go and forgive the debt of people, you know, who you encounter. Listen, don't go holding these, these grudges. Don't go holding these debts. He didn't say that at all. So it tells me, because the king was angry, because he re- reacted so harshly to this, that the king expected that those who had been forgiven much would forgive much. He expected that those who had been forgiven much would forgive much. The king expected this to be our reasonable response. It's a justice move on our parts. It's fair. It's what's fair. And it was what was expected. And this guy failed the test. And before we shake our finger at him, we realize that we have failed the test over and over and over. When we fail to walk in love, when we fail to walk in mercy, when we fail to walk in forgiveness, we failed the test. And the scriptures tell us, not me, 
that we will pay a great price for it. That we will pay a great price. And basically that price is if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. I'll say it again. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Those are some harsh words. And you thought it was optional. You thought that it depended on how wrong the person was or how grievous the offense were or how much contrition and, and, and sincerely, how sincerely they, they apologize. Some of us think that that's, those are the conditions as it relates to the kingdom of God of what, what you know, if a person um, um, is, is due forgiveness. And God says, listen, if you don't forgive, your sins won't be forgiven. I don't want to trivialize this because I know that these pains and these wrongs can be, again, life-altering. So I don't want to trivialize those of you who've been hurt and those of you who are wrestling with unforgiveness because forgiveness is, is, is hard. True forgiveness is really, really hard. It's extremely difficult. And so for some of you, depending on what's happened to you, what's been done to you, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do is to let somebody go free after wronging you. It's the hardest thing you ever do. Which begs the question, why is forgiveness so hard? Why is it so hard? Why is it such a difficult thing to do? And there's a, I mean, a long list of things that we can say in, 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 to reply to that question. But one of the basic things that we need to understand and all you know, get on the same page is that forgiveness is costly. It's very expensive. And if forgiveness came cheap, everybody would be doing it. We'd be handing out forgiveness left and right. Here, some for you. You didn't even do anything to me, but you could take some of this in case you do something. But forgiveness costs us something, man. To let something go, to let a wrong go, to release somebody from that, to not demand repayment, to not demand that somebody has to answer for what they've done to us, to see them seemingly running free and careless while we're in this prison of anguish and hurt. Man, that's costly to let it go. It's costly to release the debt. Because as, you know, Jesus frames this in a sort of financial sense, to release a debt means that you're not getting that money back that you're owed. So essentially, forgiveness requires you to go into the hole a little bit. In this guy's case, millions of dollars, that's a huge financial hit. That would significantly impact your portfolio or your net worth to let that go. And it's helpful to put it in those financial terms so we can paint a good picture of what happens on the inside of us when a debt is released and things aren't paid, when something doesn't seem to be made right after a grievous wrong. It's hard. It costs us something. There's a hole there. And God's, um, his, his sort of stock sense of justice that it, he puts inside of us is upset a little bit when people go free and they don't have to deal with what they've done wrong especially as it relates to us. Forgiveness is costly. We want everything to even out. We want everything to be fair. We want it to be balanced. But unfortunately, it will never balance out on this side of heaven. Can I say that again? This impulse that we have to see justice and see things balance out on this side, an eye for an eye, I want to pay that person back. I want to see them suffer like I've suffered. Guess what? That will never, ever happen on this side of heaven. And so unforgiveness is an exercise in futility. It will spin your emotions. It will spin your energy. It will spin your resources to shave years off of your life. 
say value off of your relationships, it'll rob you of divine purpose, which is what? To love God and to love others. Guess what? You're not loving somebody right if you're mad at them. You're not loving them right if you hold a grudge. You're not loving them right if you, if you seek, to, you, you, you pray for their failure and you pray for their demise and you're praying that they get hit by a car or something worse happens to them that they've done to you. Guess what? You're not loving them right. You're not going to be a vehicle of God's love and his hope to them. I don't care what you say. So an exercise in futility to hold on to grudges and to walk in unforgiveness. And while forgiveness is extremely costly, what we see is that unforgiveness is a whole lot more expensive. Unforgiveness costs a whole lot more. Now, we're not trivializing how costly forgiveness is. I'm just saying that unforgiveness is going to cost you a lot more, a whole lot more. I'm talking about the burden and the weight of bitterness that is the natural byproduct of unforgiveness. Bitterness, this thing that you carry, this thing that awakens within inside of you when you see that person or when you've heard that they're doing well. And you crawl across their Facebook page and you see that they moved on and yet you see that they at least seem to be doing well in life. Bitterness is that thing that says, see, 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 a price still needs to be paid. We, we still need to deal with that. that. That account is still open. The bitterness unforgiveness is costly. The weight of that grudge, the anger that you feel, the need to exact revenge, you become unpleasant. And all of a sudden, the people that had nothing to do with what you're mad about, they feel that every day. They feel that every day. Now, how much money are we leaving on the table in our relationships? Because somebody else, way back when, has impacted who we are now and has soured our relationships. We're counting the cost here. You become unpleasant. You stop living out your divine purpose. To the fullest. And the implications of that, I mean, just are too numerous to count. All of a sudden, there's a ceiling on how far you can go. There's a ceiling on who you love. There's a ceiling on the love of God that can outflow and overflow through you all because of unforgiveness. And when we look at the ultimate cost of unforgiveness, that our eternal uh, you know, destination has been called into question because if we don't forgive, then we don't get forgiven. Then all of a sudden, we're back on the hook for our own sins. We're back on the hook for our own sins and enter the hopelessness, enter despair, enter a lack of freedom for, you know, from, from, from the kingdom, you know, from, from what God has to offer us. We're back on the hook for our own sins. Now, let me ask you, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is holding a grudge that only uh, uh, impacts you, is ingesting a poison that only sours you, right? Is, is that worth your soul? Is it worth all of the things that it's going to cost you? I mean, it's sobering to look at it that way. It's sobering to look at it that way. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost? And some of you have went as far as to, to seek revenge, and you've, you've paid back the person in the way that you thought would really get them. 
Let me ask you, how'd that feel? It might got a shot of energy, adrenaline, something, you know, happened at the point of attack. But guess what? Did it take away the pain? Right? Did you feel free? Like, did you feel like, yes, the scales have been balanced. I'm going to go back to loving God, loving people. Life is back as it should be. I'm going to go pick some flowers now. Absolutely not, right? You chuckle because, you know, that's humorous. It's not reality. It's a trick. And God understands this so much that he does us a favor and he builds into the system of the kingdom of God the necessity of forgiveness. Doesn't leave it to us. It's not optional. It's not something that we can do on a whim. It's absolutely necessary in order to receive all that God has for us. It's absolutely necessary. He builds it into the fabric of who we are. When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he includes in there a section uh, about forgiveness. God, just as you've forgiven me, give me the strength to forgive those who've, who've wronged me. Give, give me the strength. This is Jesus in teaching us to pray and teaching us to seek God each day. He includes in there a, a request, right, for the power to forgive. Why? Because as long as you live, there'll be somebody doing something new. Long as you live, there'll be somebody, whether they intend to or not, that will rub you the wrong way. They will say things, either intentionally or unintentionally. They will do things. That will naturally be in their best interest. And just by, there's a byproduct of that. It will be not in your best interest. Sinful. We're selfish. We're going to hurt people. We're going to do it on purpose. We're going to do it on accident. So if we don't allow this to be a part of our system of living life with Jesus, listen, life is going to be really, really rocky for us. Really, really rocky for us. And so Jesus installs this thing. Right into the core of the kingdom message. Right into the core of what we're expected to do. So that we can be free. So that we don't, be, we don't have to be bound by this. So that we can accept the free gift of eternal life. That all we have to do is believe it. And all we have to do is forgive other people. Forgive other people. And some of you say, wait a second. Uh, you know, God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. He loves everybody. But the scriptures tell us that his forgiveness is not. Sometimes, some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. God's love is unconditional. But it seems, as we look at the scriptures, that his forgiveness is not. His forgiveness is contingent upon our releasing others from the things that they've done to us. That ought to rock your world. That ought to cause you to go back and look at those accounts that are still open. That ought to cause you to say, Lord, I need more of this counterweight of forgiveness. Lord, Lord, give me a few more, a few more kilos of that. Lord, put some more weight on this thing because I'm about to tip over under the weight of this thing. I need more forgiveness. And some of you are here today, man, and you, you're angry, you're bitter. And just to hear this message, just to talk about this churns up feelings. It churns up emotions within you. And you're wondering, Lord, I need some help with this. I need some help with this. So what's the big picture as we close? The big picture is this. God has forgiven us, so we must forgive. God has forgiven us, so we must forgive. And not only does God demand it, 
he, he, he encourages us to do that. So, because that's the only way, that's the only way we'll walk through this life with freedom. It's the only way we'll walk through this life and have any measure of hope and freedom and be free from the things that people do to us. It's the only way we'll do that is if we forgive, is if we let people go. We let people off the hook. And that should be easier, not easy for us to do, but easier knowing the things that we've been released from. Knowing what God has set us free from. And some of us, we can just take it out of the realm of this sort of abstract sin or sort of this natural you know, leaning towards sin. Some of you know what you used to be. Some of you know what you still are doing right now. That God just says, listen, you're my son, you're my daughter, I pardon you, I love you, turn away from that thing, it's like it never happened. Some of you, you you need to reacquaint yourself with what God has released you from. Reacquaint yourself with uh, uh, what debt you owed that he released you from. And that ought to foster in you a heart of compassion, a desire to let others run free. It ought to move you to a place of grace, move you to a place of mercy, move you to a place of compassion, and move you to a place of forgiveness. Where are you today? What accounts have you still open? What people do you need to go to and release them from the things that they've done to you? Now, let me be clear here. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you, you, you're, you're, you're a doormat, right? And that you forget and that you don't use wisdom. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about constantly putting yourself in a position where you can be walked over and you can be mistreated and abused. In fact, one of the most loving things that I can do for some people is put some space between me and them. I'll say that again. Some of the most loving things that I can do for people, particularly those who have wronged me and seem set on continuing to wrong me, is to put some space between me and them. So this isn't about being a doormat. This isn't about being, uh, you know, allowing yourself to be walked over. This is about squaring yourself away with the God that has the power to save your soul. This is what this is about. Worship team, you can come up. And as we worship God today, listen, I just want you to be honest with the Lord today. Can I charge you to be honest today? I'm not taking a poll that we're going to publicize. So I, I want you to be honest and relate to God today. And as you worship today, I just, I just want you to be honest about who you, you need to forgive. The folks that are holding you back from walking in freedom, from walking in love, from being the person that God has called you to be. Who is it? Who is it? My prayer is that God would lead you and guide you to a place of forgiveness, that he would, you would allow him to place that counterweight on the system of your life. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, it's hard sometimes to take in what you say, to do what you tell us to do. Lord, it's downright uncomfortable. It's painful at times. But God, we trust you that you know what you're talking about and that you're a designer and the architect of all of this stuff, Lord. So we trust you, Lord. And we just pledge to be obedient, Lord. Regardless of how it might feel, we want to be obedient today. Lord, we want to receive every single thing that you have for us. And we know, Lord, that in order for us to receive that and to walk in that, Father, we just got to let some things go. We got to forgive. So, Lord, would you just... Would you just till the soil of our heart as we worship you today? Would you cause us to do business with you today? Would you cause us to be honest about the people and the things that have offended us and that have wronged us, Lord? 
And would you allow us to run free today, Lord? Would you allow us to run free? And as we lean into what you have to offer us this morning, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.